Good morning. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. I'm going to continue from uh, where I left off the last time I spoke to you, and we were looking at lessons from the life of David, and uh, we'll look at a few more lessons today. So this chapter, uh, David had just been king, and uh, uh, he decides that he wants to bring the ark uh, back to the city of David. It had been taken away. And then uh, during this chapter, we will see that the ark was mishandled. Yusa put his hand out and uh, reached out to touch the ark. And then he died before God. And then the ark was uh, transferred to the house of Obedam for three months. So what I'd like to do is uh, uh, these 14 verses, go through it with you today, just like I normally do, and we'll pick out some lessons here and there from within the chapter and apply it to our lives. We won't go through the story, but I'll just pick out some lessons. And I'll ask Dean if he would very kindly please read the first four verses for us. First Chronicles chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, King James Version. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at all in the days of Saul. We need verse 14. Yes. There we go. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Thank you. Now, throughout the book of 1 Chronicles, we see that uh, it's constantly referenced. The main theme was David's desire to build a house for God. And now for the first time, we are told that David's further desire is to bring the ark back uh, to uh, so that it could reside in the house of God. And David had, since he was a young man, dreamt of building this house for God. He had dreamt of bringing the ark back to its rightful place. In fact, in Psalm 132, in the uh, verses 2 to 5, you will see that David uh, talks about his dreams for the house of God and the ark. He says, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up to my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to mine eyelids, until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. He wanted a house for God. And then in verse 6 there, it tells us that from the time he was in uh, Ephrata, uh, they found the ark in the fields of the wood, and he wanted to find it a rightful home. So in this chapter, we find that it teaches us the lesson that a casual approach 
to divine things will bring unhappiness into our life. David took a casual approach to bringing the ark back. The plan was to bring the ark to the city of David, but he made some wrong decisions in the process, and we are going to see this today. Now, I want you to notice the first lesson for today is that as soon as he became king, the first thing he wanted to do was to give the ark its rightful place. Now, Hezekiah, he had a similar ambition. Uh, We can see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 3, this is what it tells us that Hezekiah did when uh, he was in charge. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He didn't waste any time, Hezekiah, in the first month, in the first year of his reign. And David also, as soon as he became king, he wanted to sort this out. And then the lesson for us is this, Matthew six thirty-three. This is what it tells us. We all know these words very well. Seek ye first, first, the kingdom of God. You also, in your lives, make sure that you give God first place. First place. Just like David did. Just like Hezekiah did. If you give God first place and you seek after his kingdom, you will be greatly blessed in your life. Then I want you to notice, uh, we will move move on to verse uh, 1. And uh, we see there that he consulted the people in this project. He consulted the people. Now, David's position as king was unrivaled and undisputed. So he did not have to consult anybody or seek advice because he was supreme king. But I want you to notice that he didn't think of himself so high enough that I can't take advice from others. Notice that wisely he wanted to carry the people with him in this project. So there was consultation. Now you see, David was someone who understood the uh, problems that wrong advice would bring. Remember what he wrote in Psalm 1 and verse 1? He said, talked about the counsel of the ungodly. David knew what it was to have wrong advice. But what he did was that he made sure that he had counselors. He had people to advise him. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 27 and uh, verses 32 and 33, you will see that there are those who are designated as his counselors, it says. Ahithophel, he was one of David's counselors. My brother, my sister, are you though one of those who seeks counsel and advice? Or do you place everything on your intellect? I can manage, uh, I don't need any advice or counsel. Are you like that? My advice to you is be like David. Seek counsel, seek advice. Because you see, the human mind is a terrible thing because it's always conniving, 
uh, wanting us to do the wrong thing. Only if we constantly are depending on God and seeking advice from those who are spiritually mature, those who are your leaders, then you can be sure that your mind is not leading you down the wrong path. Who can know our heart or mind? It's constantly seeking to deceive us. So let us make sure that we get a second and a third opinion to make sure that we are on the right track. Next lesson is this. In David's thinking, there was two criteria that he wanted satisfied before he would embark on this venture. Now I want you to notice this, verse 2. Here's the two criteria that David had to fulfill before he would move on the venture. He said, if it seems good unto you, that means he would have to have, firstly, the people agree with the mind of the people with him. And then more importantly, secondly, it had to be of the Lord our God. Do you see that in verse 2? Firstly, if it seems good unto you, and then secondly, that be of the Lord our God. Now, my brother, my sister, whenever you embark on anything for God, when, before you make any important decision in your life, here's the application. These two things, you must make sure that you fulfill these two. One is whether you have peace of mind, whether those who are your leaders or your counselors, they agree, and it has to be of the mind of God. Amen. You see, sometimes it is possible for us to move ahead where we have the approval of one, but not the approval of the other. Let me give you an example. Uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 7. On occasions, it is possible that we have one, but not the other. Now, in this verse, Paul and his companions were uh, at one in their attempts to go into Bithynia with the gospel, but it was not in the will of God. So after they were come to Mysia, they are said to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. They wanted to go into Bithynia, so one tick, it was in their mind they wanted to do it, but the Holy Spirit suffered them not. God was not in it. So they didn't do it. Let me give you an, another example. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. Here, it was the opposite. The will of God was there, but Paul didn't want to go to Troas to preach. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me, Not this one, the next one, yes. And the door was opened unto me of the Lord. And then the next verse, please, verse 13. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence. So you see, God was there. He had approved, but he went from thence. So it's possible that sometimes one tick will be there, but the other won't be there. 
So you like David, make sure that you have both texts. Make sure that you have God's approval and also the approval of the people or those who are your counselors and advisors before you move forward in any project for God. Then, next, I want you to notice this. I want you to observe the language that is seen in verse 2. The Lord, our God, look at the word our, let us, our brethren everywhere, all the land of Israel, notice those words, our, us, our, all. You see, there is a great stress on the need for unity and cooperation in this enterprise. So look carefully at David's language when he is speaking of the Lord, our God, let us, and so on. You see, he was keen to capture collective enthusiasm for this venture. You see, here's the lesson. If Christ is ever to have the central place among his people, as illustrated in the bringing up of the ark, and if the church is or the assembly is ever going to be edified, uh, as illustrated in the building of the temple, there has to be a common goal and collective zeal among all the believers. Only if you all all work together can things be achieved for God. If some of you are pulling in one direction and others pulling in another direction, nothing can be achieved for God. David wanted to ensure that all were rowing in the same direction, so he took the people along with him. Now, I want you to notice next, in David's address here to the congregation, he made mention of the priests and the Levites. Do you see that? In verse 2, the priests and the Levites are mentioned. Now, he knew that they would be crucial to this project. Have a look at uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 2. David said, None ought to carry the ark but the Levites, for them had the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God. So you see, David knew that it was the Levites. But on this day, in this chapter, we will see that foolishly David dispensed with their services. What got into him? I don't know. But he decided not to use the Levites to move the ark. Now, uh, also, another verse I want to point out to you is Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 8. And at that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Only they had been approved to move the ark. So David knew this, but perhaps on that day there was no Levites available. I don't know what it was. Something more convenient. And he decided to appoint some other men to carry the ark. You see, to allow things that are unscriptural on the grounds of convenience or modernity leaves us as guilty as David. We must always make sure that exactly what God has said we follow, not something that is more convenient to us or if it suits us. 
Next, we will move on to verse 3. David indicated that for all his lifetime, the ark had never been central to the life uh, of the nation. Notice verse 3, he says, We inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Now, uh, during Saul's time, they did not pay any heed or attention to the ark. In fact, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and fetched the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinabak in the hill and sanctified Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Verse 2, And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kiriath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, notice those words there. The time was long. My brother, my sister, this phrase, it conveyed into my mind the impression of people who were drained, desolate, because they had abandoned God. They had abandoned the ark. They had left it in a faraway place. Here's the lesson for us. There is a danger that out of the weariness of life in our own day and age, time will be long for you if God is left out of your equation in your life. If you leave God out of your life, he's not part of the equation, you will find time will be long, just like these people found it. You see, uh, the ark had been forgotten about in this generation, and uh, now was the time for that omission to be corrected, and David decided he was going to be the one to do something about it. God must always be central to the life of his people. He knew that. Make sure that God is always given the central part of his of your life. If there has been any slippage on your part, perhaps you're not giving God first place, you're not reading the Bible as often as you should, perhaps you're not praying as often as you should, there is a need to immediately reinstate him into the proper place in your hearts and in your homes. Okay, uh, Dean, would you mind please reading verses uh, 5 to 10, please? First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. And David went up and all Israel to Bela, that is Kiriath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Amminadab, and Uzzah and Ohio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. 
And when they had come unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Usa put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the ark stum- the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. Thank you. <clears throat> now I want you to notice in uh, verse 7, it talks about a new cart. You see, they had to make sure that they bore the ark and carried it along. But what they did was they brought this new cart. They decided to try a new system. God had ordained one way, but they decided something more convenient or perhaps something more modern. They decided to implement it. So you see, uh, this use of this cart completely violated God's ordinance. So the lesson here is this. You see, um, divine procedures that are given in the Bible should never be ignored. Enthusiasm can sometimes make us careless. Using a cart would be perhaps faster than shouldering the burden. Uh, But it was not what God wanted. You see, all these different arguments that David could have thought of, but this procedure that he did was not after God's order. In fact, look at uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 3. Uh, Verse 13, my apologies. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 13. And it says there, For because he did not, did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after due order. They did not follow God's order. So, you see, in the world of Christendom today, there is this great... uh, Under the words Christian, there are many unbiblical methods being used. For example, to boost membership or to increase funds or uh, Adel mentioned earlier about the mega churches. But, you know, people who know their Bibles should never be tempted to argue that if it works for them, it could work for us. And then subsequently abandon the scriptural principles. You see, unscriptural new carts can produce spiritual casualties just as the situation proved disastrous for user. So let us make sure that we also don't come up with too many new carts or new ideas. Let's stick to what God had ordained. Then I want you to... uh, Notice that the finger of is pointed at David because uh, the finger of blame because it was under his management that this new cart was employed. Uh, now we cannot be certain that he initiated the proceedings, but as a leader, he approved what was taking place. So leaders do have a responsibility for what happens under their management. And then I wanted you to notice this. 
the king's failure had ramifications on others. You see, he made a wrong decision, but the ramification was on somebody else. Yusa died. When you make a wrong decision, others can be affected. So let us make sure that we also keep that in mind. Remember, Achan's family suffered because of his greed. Remember that Gehazi, who can tell me how his family suffered? Anybody can tell me? How did Gehazi's family suffer because of his sin? Okay, we'll have a quick look at that. Two Kings, chapter 5 and verse 7. Okay, there we have it. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. You see, the leprosy didn't just go on to Gehazi. It went on to his seed forever. So sometimes when we do something wrong, it's not only us that has to pay the consequences. Others are also affected. David's action, his wrong decision, somebody else got affected. You make sure that you all take the right decision because it could affect somebody else. And then notice that the drivers of this cart, I noticed that in verse 7 it said that Yuza and Ahio drove the cart. Now, they were part of the family that were custodians of the ark for many years in exile. And both of them were very familiar with this sacred chest, the ark. Was it familiarity that made Yuza careless? And is it possible that we too can become over-familiar with holy things? It's possible, isn't it? Could we become so used to attending meetings and remembering the Lord and engaging in service that we lose an appreciation for the holiness of God whom we worship and serve? You see, is it possible that sometimes irreverence could creep into our activities? Just like Yusa, who was used to everything, irreverence creeped into him and he touched the ark. You see, the God that we worship is a holy God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 tell us, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God is a consuming fire. So let us have great respect on the God that we serve and worship. He is a holy God. Let us not take things lightly and irreverently when uh, we are worshipping God. Then I want you to notice next uh, that in verse 8, we notice that Yusa died before God. Now, uh, all the people, they, they cannot be faulted for a lack of enthusiasm. For it says also in verse 8 that they did it with all their might. So the people, they were all enthusiastic in this venture. So here's another lesson I want you to notice. They were all enthusiastic in this venture. You see the verse there, it says, with all their might, 
But they were doing something wrong, isn't it? They were using the wrong method to carry the cart. So it is possible, here's the lesson, it's possible to be zealous in a situation that has no scriptural authority. If you think about it, it's possible to be zealous and do something in a situation that has no scriptural authority. You see, this whole situation is a solemn warning to all of us, lest we also abandon scriptural procedure. If what is being done is being done in the name of God, well, remember this, God was there. It was played out before God. He was watching. So remember this, he takes an interest in whatever you are doing. He is watching. And there will be consequences if you cross a certain line. There will be consequences. Then I want us to move on to uh, verses 11 to 14. I've only got 10 minutes and we'll try to finish it within these uh, few minutes. Verse 11. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Okay, so in verse 11, And David was displeased because <clears throat> the Lord had did this to Uzzah. David was displeased with God? Doesn't that often happen to us when things go wrong in our life? Who is it that we blame? Now, we all know that it was David's fault here, correct? But he's displeased with God. You notice that? You know that this has been going on for a long time, the blame game. How long do you think the blame game has been going on? Here's a, you know, sometimes I ask you a question. Here's my question today. If you know the answer, raise your hands up. When was the first time in the Bible that God was blamed for man's mistake? What was the first time in the Bible God was blamed for man's mistake? <laughs> Yes? Okay, yes, uh, I'll give that to you. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12. Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 12. And this is what uh, Adam, how he blamed God. He said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me. You see, this thing where you blame God, you blame the church, you blame your leaders. This has been going on right from the start. It's never our fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And it started from Adam. So remember that lesson. Don't think that every time something goes wrong, it's somebody else's fault or God's fault. No, it's invariably our fault. Then I want you to notice next, that uh, 
David was afraid of God that day. Look at verse uh, 12. And David was afraid of God. Now, it seems that because he was courting danger, this feeling of fear came into David. Now, when Adam sinned, the Bible said, says, he said, I was afraid. I hid. When you do something wrong, when you sin, this is the feeling that comes into you. You see, David wanted no contact with the holy God. David's fear of God, what did he do? He stopped taking the ark. He put it aside in somebody's house. He was meant to take it to the city of David, verse 13. But he wanted to be far away from God. Do you experience that sometimes? You do something wrong. You don't want to come to church. You don't want to speak to Edel. You walk through the other room when you see him over there. Yeah, that's what happens. When you do something wrong, you want to be far from God. David knew in his heart, even though he was displeased with God, he was fearful of God. He realized that he had done something wrong. He didn't want to be close to God, so he put the ark aside into somebody else's house and he went on his way. Don't be like that. Make sure that even when things go wrong in your life, you stay close to God. Remember Peter, he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. You see, constantly in scripture, manifestations of divine power or discipline make people want to distance themselves from God. Make sure that when you do something wrong, don't stay away from church. Don't make sure that you continue to come. David, on this occasion, had the inclination to isolate himself from God. Then we come to the last two verses of our chapter and we'll very quickly finish this. I want to speak to you about the house that this ark was put into when this incident happened. So, the man whose home the ark was put into in verse uh, 13 uh, is known as Obedam the Gittite. Now, this man was a Gentile immigrant from Gath of the Philistines. And it was wonderful to think that he was honored to be the guardian of this sacred vessel. Here's a very important lesson from us that we can learn from this. James chapter 4 and verse 8. One of my favorite thoughts, uh, James 4, right? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. This man, Obedam, he decided that he wanted to have the ark in his house. He wanted to draw nigh unto God. He wanted the blessing for himself. I, the detail isn't given there, but I'm sure that he put his hand up and said, yes, please, I'll have it in my house. If you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. I want to salute this man's courage in being willing to give the ark sanctuary under his new roof. You see, this man would have known that in a previous occasion, we would see that the Philistines, when they opened the ark to look at what was inside, 
50,000 men died. And then this man would have known about Yuza touching the ark and he immediately died. This man, he would have seen that David wanted to distance himself from the ark. All that was going through this man's mind, but yet he decided to take on the ark. Why was that? You see, this man would have also known that when he keeps the ark in his house, he would have to be morally and spiritually suitable. You see, he can't have the ark in his house and then been doing all the different sins possible, could he? No, because he would know I may be suddenly struck down, something may happen to me. So he knew, if I have the ark in my house, I have to be morally suitable. I have to lead a holy life myself. But yet he was willing to take it on. You see, it is made clear here in this last two verses that because this man decided to accommodate the ark in his home, not only he was blessed, but his whole household was blessed. Earlier I told you that if you sin, it can have an impact on others. Now I am telling you, if you take a stand for God, give him the central place in your life, it could have blessing on your entire family. Now look at this verse carefully. Let's look at this. The ark of God remained with the family of Obendam, verse 14, in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obedam. Not just him, his entire house. You see, sin can have disastrous consequences, as we saw earlier, for the whole family. But also, if you put God first, it can have great blessing on your family. If you want your family, your wife or your husband, your children, if you want them to see blessing, you take a stand for God. You put him first in your life. That's the best way to make sure that your family benefits. You see, and I want you to notice this. We are not told the precise details of what is the blessing that he got. But I noted this. It says there, the last four words of verse 14. Bless the house of Obedam and all that he had. What does that mean? And all that he had. I'm guessing that it took in terms health, material prosperity. We are talking about harvest at this time of the year. He had productive fields. All that he had, every venture that he did, everything was blessed. Isn't that a wonderful thing to hold on to? Yeah. You know, sometimes when I'm sitting at office, I'm looking at graphs. And well, if you had a, if they had looked at the graph of this man's life, well, it would have been a steep upward curve. Yeah. The moment he took the ark into his home, the moment he decided to put God first in his life, his family was blessed. All that he had was blessed. Anybody associated with him was blessed. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He took that risk. Others were, you know, touching the ark, doing wrong things with the ark, and they were all perishing. He took it on, and he was blessed. So, uh, 
I will close with one final thing here. Now, once he experienced this blessing, I noted that he did not want to be separated from the blessing. Because if we turn to chapter 15 and verse 24, you see the day came after three months, they came and removed the ark from his house and took it away. Do you think that this man said, okay, bye-bye, and let the ark go? No. He'd experienced the blessing of God. He wanted to hold on to it. He didn't want to let it go. Look at chapter 15, verse 24. And there it says that he became one of the doorkeepers for the ark. So even after it moved away from his home into a new place, he went with the ark. And in fact, I noted that in chapter 26, as way back, as far back as chapter 26 and verses 4 and 5, I noted that he had many sons. Their names were all mentioned there in verse 4, chapter 26, verse 4. And then in verse 5, it said, God blessed him. Far away down the line, he had many children and still working. God was continuing to bless him. So remember this very important lesson for Abedam. Permanent devotion and commitment to the ark meant permanent blessings from God in his life. Let me close on this note. My brother, my sister, lay hold of God. Bring him into your home. Bring him into your life. Don't let him go. And if you do that, I can guarantee you God's richest blessings will be on you, your family, and all that you have. God's promises always come true. And if you were to hold on to this promise, and seriously, you have to be morally and spiritually suitable, yes, but if you were to do it, God will bless you immensely, and not just for you, for your family as well. Isn't that a wonderful thing? If that happened, I'll ask Dean to close in prayer, please. Thank you. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lessons from the Old Testament. We thank you for our dear brother Rajiv sharing them with us today. And we pray, Lord, that we will be men and women of God who would cling to you, draw near to you, stand firm on your truth and on your word, not be swayed by the way things the world does things or other churches uh, may do things, Lord, but help us to be solid in our doctrine, solid in our practice. Help us to be godly people, Lord. And we pray like Obedidim, Lord, that you will bless us as we draw near to you and obey you and put you first. You'll bless our families, our businesses, our jobs, everything that we have. We think of the book of Job and how God blessed him and his sons because Job honored you, Lord. And so we just pray now that you'll take us home safely. Help us to remember these lessons, to meditate on your word, Lord, to apply them to our hearts. Please help us to grow, to see more souls saved and more people serving you for your kingdom. We ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.